you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. anime again coming up in january that it would be uh good to have that how many times a year do they have this they do two they do two a year and so uh this last the last one in september had um so i guess the first yeah the first weekend of january and the last one in september had uh tony osomo who is um Donald Duck, so that was one Kingdom Hearts, and then the I want to say it's Bill Farmer is Goofy now, and I cannot remember who was the new Mickey Mouse because he changed in recent years. Yeah. Um, so Mickey and Goofy will be at at, the, at this one in January, so they're, they're kind of having a little you know Kingdom Hearts celebration, which I think finally Kingdom Hearts three uh, you know should be out by the end of January, so it's kind of timely and cool and as, as, as i've uh, you know said before as, as i experienced it was it's a it's a it's a great convention but it's interesting to go to a convention where i don't really know most of the yeah there's video games and anime but i i did love the dealer's room and i loved this the way they set up panels and the, and the community so you know it's a it's a cool convention uh so th- they did not pay for my endorsement either but uh uh, you know, well, general. while we're while we're getting unpaid endorsements, uh, you know about Funimation? Uh, yeah, they signed a deal with Hulu. Oh, they did. I they did. did. Okay, they did sign a, an anime content uh, deal with Hulu. Yeah, because they used to be part of v- VRV, and yeah. then they stopped VRV, and that was the only reason I was subscribed to VRV. So now I just subscribe directly to Funimation because they have, they let you choose whether you're listening to whether you're whether you're watching a dubbed or a um, sub. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like it's hard for me to work while I'm watching a subtitled show. Mm-hmm. And when I'm watching something like Fairy Tale, it's it's not like I'm not really going there for the dramatic effect of the actors they originally had because it's just crazy, silly stuff. And well, I'm. You know, I did have a conversation with uh, an actor, actress who does anime dubbing, and uh, she at SAC Anime, and she it was just an off, off the cuff, and she said, you know, that she has had people come up and scream at her because yeah. they don't like her performance as well as they like the original Japanese. Like you ruined my anime, and she's like, I, I, I don't get it. You know, yeah, I don't. I don't. If they're having trouble finding the the subtitles stuff, they're not really looking very hard. Oh no, 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 no! They're watching both ways. Yeah. Oh, I see. And I'm saying is like you know they're they're you know that's the purest the otaku I guess, and so you know here we are. We're the you know we're the fanboys as well. Um, I'm sure there are things that we probably I've just never screamed at anybody. Well, yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't I, uh, get that ruin it. You've ruined my childhood thing. Yeah. I just don't. So, 
you know what ruined my childhood? Going back and watching some of the shows. I can't. I think <laughs> probably my least favorite uh, artist was like Mike Royer, right? Mm-hmm. Could the Kirby Inker? The the and when he when he started doing his own um mm-hmm. his own drawing, and it was kind of like it was like not good Kirby. But I, if I met him in a crowd, I don't think I'd ever like yell at him like, "Why don't you get your own style?" Or, you know, that's stupid. Right? No, I yeah, ridiculous. I, 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 I was just but on the anime thing, like I, I was, it was talking about how uh, I was just having a conversation about how I didn't perceive that I was watching anime as a little kid, but of yeah. course I Speed Racer sure. and came up. Lion and Eighth Man and so forth, and that's an example of I adored Eighth Man. I can't remember which artist had just done. Uh, somebody had mentioned it, so there was a sketch. Maybe it was a Tom Mandrake version of Eighth Man, and I thought, yeah, that was really cool. Except I did go back and watch an episode of Eighth Man as an adult. Oh, and that was the worst mistake I could have made. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's hor- uh, the other one was Marine Boy. Marine Boy, which I don't consciously remember ever watching, but I remember oh. being in the neighbor's kiddie pool and saying, we have to chew our oxygen gum. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I totally, you know, I, so I know I did. And I think I watched a Prin- Prince Planet and uh, I don't know if there's any others, but, you know, I, I would just say again, when you actually go back, any episode of like Speed Racer is so much cooler from my four-year-old memory right. than actually going back and watching it on YouTube. Right. So, like, uh, you know. Marine Boy was weird because he, he had a boomerang, an underwater boomerang that he'd throw. They recall that. And did it fold up? I think it may have. It may have, like, fit on his belt or something. And, yeah, and, then, and so that would be my, my fascination as a child with boomerangs <laughs> because <laughs> I was led to believe that they worked very well for Marine Boy. But, again, I have no actual memory of watching the show. And I, I know things associated with it because I remember talking about it and playing Marine Boy you know, in preschool. So that is just uh, a – yeah. <laughs> Huh. Hey, so let's begin. This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. Welcome to, you know what, I love that we are on the Evernote uh, numbering the episodes in our notes, because then I can say, welcome to episode 528, uh, produced from across the airwaves, sitting in the in the Brett Cave, co-host and producer, Rick Brett Snyder. There you go. I know. Was there, is there a, like a, there's a gap in between, do we have a delay? When I, I don't think up? so. I just I have okay. to look at the wall to see what my name is. I've got it pasted up there. Oh, okay, right. And then yeah. in post production, you you put in like a little dramatic drum roll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rick Schneider. Okay, we and then add echo and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. We miss. Yeah. Uh, so this is the penultimate, potentially penultimate show before Christmas, which does not scan as well as the night before Christmas, but. <laughs> Right. Anyway, uh, before we begin, we, get, we, we do have a little comic stuff. We're going to talk movies. We're going to talk TV. And almost all dealing with comics, which is nice. Uh, but uh, before we, we get into that, I do want to say, of course, if you are listening to us on the Apple Podcast or uh, as we just uh, discovered, Rick through – I'm going to be doing like the night before Christmas. Rick through his Tesla and I through my Amazon, <laughs> through my Echo, uh, discovered TuneIn.com. It hosts – uh, fanboy planet so you can subscribe there as well uh, the stitcher app whatever your favorite podcast provider is uh definitely subscribe and and hey 
if you're enjoying this, I, I say tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast, but also tell us if you enjoy. And you can, of course, listen to each and every episode on fanboyplanet.com. Each and every podcast has its own page. And uh, some are more detailed than others, as I realize, depending on how old they are. Uh, the newer ones, we, we keep kind of, we've got, uh, I think, more, more interesting graphics and so forth so you know come and join and be part of the conversation you can comment on each and every page as well of course if there's something we talk about on this podcast today that you, uh, you would like for your very own please uh and you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store i'm still gonna say all through december and all through 2019 support your local community shop whatever it may be comic shop bookstore whatever small business i'm all for it just because small business saturday is over doesn't mean you shouldn't go and support your local small business to keep them open anyway if you can't find it you can't find it on amazon and we do have an amazon search box on the fanboy planet page each and every page and sometimes we do include direct links uh, when we do the descriptions of of the episodes as well, we are also affiliated with Think Geek. So if there's anything, you know, plenty of great geeky things, and of course, a lot of the last podcast we did was our holiday gift guide, which I think we referenced a couple of Think Geek things. But all, I think we all of it, all of it was also available uh, that we that we referenced was uh, on Think uh, was on Amazon, as well as I, I should mention, just because we you know we we tried to turn over the gift guide. Uh, there's a 2008, uh, 17 gift guide, 16, 15, 14. We go back a few years. So, you know, look at our archives and you can still probably find some really cool things that you might wish to give to that geek in your life. Who may be yourself? I don't know. I've certainly picked up some things. I'm going to talk about one fantastic discovery I made last night. And, uh, of course, you can also support us directly uh, for the cost of supporting the podcast and, and hosting the, the website. You can go to, to PayPal and donate at editor at fanboyplanet.com, which I should also say is, of course, uh, you could if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can uh, also, go, as I say, go on to – you can make a comment on, on an, any article or, or podcast on Fanboy Planet, but also join the conversation on Facebook, uh, we, which you can find us at Fanboy Planet. I've actually been having a conversation about Titans on DC Universe with an Australian listener, Sean Orion King. And uh, so there, call out to you, Sean. Uh, I'm enjoying having a conversation, trying to catch up. I realize I'm still uh, an episode behind. I thought I was caught up, and I'm not. Uh, I'll get there. Uh, Twitter, uh, you can you can tweet us at uh, Fanboy Planet. Uh, see how clever and you sense the pattern. Instagram at Fanboy Planet. We just have uh, occasional photos that don't show up uh, on the website, but uh, you can find some cool geeky stuff at Instagram at Fanboy Planet. And uh, so I think that's it, right? I've gone through everything that I say contractually, except that if you would like to also sponsor. Uh, Fanboy Planet or have an ad, you can certainly write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. And if you'd like to be a sponsor something on the podcast, you've got a project, you've got a business that you would like to promote. Uh, Rick will uh, produce the recording. We'll have a little ad. Uh, I like to pretend that I'm helping, but I, I know that I'm, I'm really <laughs> only uh, – I'm the face, and which is you know ironic for an audio podcast. So I get that. Uh, so that's it. R uh, Rick is the talent there. So anyway, uh, so let's uh, get into it, shall we? Today, uh, as we were talking about uh, SAC Anime, uh, which is a convention up up in Sacramento, a nice mid-sized convention, and 
well, not necessarily one that I was that familiar with the content because I, I don't watch that much anime. I'm getting more and more. I'm going to shout out here because I know you're watching it. Um, I'm, I'm catching up on My Hero Academia because my son made me. And ah, good. I, I absolutely love that show. And uh, but but of course, as you know, I'm I'm juggling. Uh, I believe it's now one million and six uh, different television shows. <laughs> I'm trying to get up on. <laughs> so uh, well, you're six over the limit, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Facebook. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I, I am in season two, and I think what a what a really intriguing uh, take. But I but I was partially inspired to do that because of going to Sac Anime and realizing. I'm meeting all these people that amongst their credits was my hero academia. And I went, man, my son loves this show. I really should check it out. And I love it too. So anyway, it is anime and video game oriented in its guests in its panels. And, uh, so we had a conversation because it was back in September. There's another, another one coming the first weekend of January and you can go to sacanime.com and get tickets. But one of the guests of honor in the September one was someone who is actually, I, I can't exactly say I grew up with. He's the older brother of of one of my best friends. And uh, so when I was in high school, we became friends and have continued being friends all these years. And he is a voiceover actor in both uh, video games and uh, animation. And uh, Michael Goff, not the one that was Alfred in the... uh, in the Tim Burton Batman movies, but an, instead a, a really talented voice actor in his own right. He is uh, the gopher in Winnie the Pooh. That's probably what people most likely know him from, except by going to SAC anime, I discovered that's not really true. Like I thought of him as the gopher and there were plenty of people uh, that way, but because he is an entire uh, race of people in Skyrim that he has an incredible fandom based on being part of Skyrim. And so uh, we, though we did not have the interview at, in Sacramento, we did sit down at a restaurant in Los Angeles and have a conversation about his career. And in addition, he is also the backup. If you go to the Universal Studios parks, he is the voice of Shrek when uh, Mike Myers does not want to be involved in that particular project. Mike Myers does the movies, uh, Michael Goff tends to do the amusement park rides, the, the like side immersive experiences, that kind of stuff, uh, and occasionally does uh, Austin Powers as well. And I just recently, his brother reminded me, he's also uh, occasionally Roger Rabbit for Disney. So anyway, uh, we had a conversation, and I hope you enjoy this career retrospective on Michael Goff. This is post- Sac Anime in uh, from Sacramento, but we're actually in Studio City. We're at Aroma Cafe with Michael Goff, who is the voice of. You'll have to fill me in on everything in Skyrim. My son knows I, I don't, but, but you, but you are very well known uh, as the Gopher in Winnie the Pooh, and uh, you are a big video. You're in Diablo, the whole Diablo series. You are an entire race of people in Skyrim. <coughs> Uh, so, True. but you know, a voiceover actor of, of some renown, and I and I do want to say also, kind of this forgotten costumed hero because you are the voice of Zora in the animated series that seems to have sort of gotten lost a little bit. So I want to talk hmm. about that as well. This was uh, yeah the animated Zoro back in the 
was it the late 90s? Yeah, yeah. Produced by uh, Fred Wolf and company, who had done Ninja Turtles and. And I, they also did James Bond Jr., I believe. Oh, okay. Some other, they were, yeah, they did a lot of stuff for a while. And you were Don Diego de la Vega. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, but they didn't want him to speak with an accent. For I, I had wanted and thought that they wanted him to sound a little like Zorro would sound. Right. But, no, they wanted him to be straight and... Anglo and American sounding. And that wouldn't be the way it is now, but you know, it is coming back in comics, so I thought it was worth mm. mentioning. I think I think that's the only animated version of Zorro that there's been. Well, actually I think that's not true. Okay, correct me. As far as I know, there was at least another um, animated Zorro and I don't know if it was a series or maybe it was just some separate short uh, filmation Produced oh, some animated Zorro right, from the Tarzan Flash Gordon years. Okay, if I'm yeah, if I if I'm Could not be. mistaken, uh, yeah, I, I've never seen that one either. I haven't seen it. It, it, it. To my eye, when I have Googled and looked at images and things, it looks how what I would deem somewhat inferior in the way it looks. Uh, I, but I can't work. Yeah. I can't toss too much shade because I haven't really seen it. Okay. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think the the, the the Zorro that we're talking about may have been the the last one mm-hmm. that anybody's done, to my knowledge. Um, and you, you know, in games, you tend to be very uh, you know, it's very adult, gruff. You were Detective Soap on the Punisher uh, <laughs> video game. You've also wow. been uh, Modok in Marvel Ultimate Alliance. So you know <laughs> you've gone around uh, in the Marvel universe at the, at the very least. A little bit. DC too, I think. You, you well, um, well, uh, Batman. Uh, that's not DC. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, some of the Batman Arkham games, right? Okay. M- probably most notably uh, Arkham Origins, where I was commissioner, except pre-commissioner, lieutenant, captain, yes, captain, captain, captain James Gordon, uh, and. Well, some some um, some animated DC stuff, Batman, Superman, uh, All Star Superman. Yeah, uh, uh, you're the, the parasite. parasite. You're the parasite. <laughs> and That's I was right. Hawkman in what was it? Batman versus Superman versus Batman. I Public Enemies, I think maybe. So, yeah, I think that was in the title. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You it, it, probably know better than I. I probably watched them, and you may not have. So that's I, okay. <laughs> But let's, let's go back uh, to the connection. Uh, well, you, well, let me just, I'll okay. just, it's funny that you would mention, like, in video games that I would be known for, like, gruff or something, I, because that, in my mind anyway, that's something that I, I can't and don't really do much, because there are guys who are, that's what they are. That's no, what that's they not do. you. No, it's not, not actually at all. you. You're a gentleman, absolutely. Well, but even vocally, I can't, like, get into the... Uh, oh really? Come on, give us the, the, your, your uh, no. Diablo. You are the Sean. Well, Connor Diablo, person. Diablo is, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call that like gruff necessarily, but he, he's just old and Connery-esque. Uh, um, yeah, Deckard Cain, 
is, is of who we speak. Um, but he, I mean, he's got a little bit of uh, weatheredness to him. So uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a family legend. So uh, that uh, I full disclosure to people listening, I've known Michael since probably 1982, 1983, maybe. Um, and uh, so the story goes that you were a kid watching cartoons, and you said one day you were watching Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> and one day you would grow up and be. The gopher. I, I, I don't think I said that to myself, but <laughs> I do remember watching a lot of cartoons. At Saturday morning, it was pretty much it, and there were a few primetime things. Yeah. But the Winnie the Pooh was like a special. Right. It was probably on during, you know, the Sponsored wonderful world Sears. of Disney. Sponsored by Sears, it's a separate little thing. I remember yeah. that well. Yeah. Now I remember. You know, trying to do it and mimic it, which I pro- I think I did a lot of that while I was watching TV back then. Um, I don't think I was conscious of. I'm someday. I'm going to do. I'm going to be that. I don't think I even realized what that was. It was like, oh, okay. I guess. I mean, I know there were voices coming out of cartoon mouths, uh, but. Frankly, the whole acting thing wasn't something I even thought about or discovered until I was almost done with college. What, what was the moment that tipped you over to acting? Well, uh, I was uh, almost done at UC Santa Barbara, uh, having gone there originally on a very teeny tiny athletic scholarship. I had gotten my English degree, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought, maybe I'll go back to school and get like a music degree, because music was kind of my other thing. Um, and towards that last uh, quarter in school, I was riding around campus, I think, and I remember seeing signs that said, auditions for original one-act plays. I had taken a class called Reader's Theater, Mm-hmm. It was kind of part of the English department, but so you read stuff out loud, and I always enjoyed reading out loud. Um, and I just thought this would be fun to to try before I leave school, and while I have no idea mm-hmm. what I'm going to do, uh, so I went to this audition, for the, and these were the plays that were written by the students in the playwriting program. Yeah. So. Uh, it was basically all the authors were there. You would get up and just read something, a, a scene that they were handing out, and they would all watch everybody, and then they would kind of argue amongst themselves and say, uh, I want to use that. And this gal, she kind of came up to me quickly after I read. She goes, I want you to be in my play. And I, I said, uh, okay, I'm sure. Uh, and that was really my first, and it was one performance, you know, there was like a few weeks of rehearsal and it was, it was good. It went, and I'm still really good friends with her. Uh, she actually won an Emmy years later for an afternoon, like an after school special that she co-wrote and she still does a lot of writing and, uh, yeah, it was it was 
one performance one night, and, and it was something like, hmm, maybe this, could this actually be something? So then I stuck around and went through the acting program at UC Santa Barbara while I was also a graduate student, because technically they didn't have a graduate acting program. So I was a playwriting graduate student, but I was, I, but I was taking the, all the acting, undergraduate acting classes. And then I started doing a lot of theater. The first, uh, the, the, the first thing I did was like a, it was like a children's theater thing where you're actually also manipulating a puppet, mm-hmm. a Boonraku puppet, as I think, I think that was called. Wow, yeah. and that was cool. That was, and then I got, and then there were two Shakespeare plays in rep, uh, Othello and As You Like It, and I was in those, and then just did a started doing a bunch of plays in college. Right, and you came, actually, you came back to San Jose. You were in uh, well, The Tempest at San Jose Rep. Right? That was my first professional job. Yeah. And I happened to be up there for some reason, uh, you know, because that's where I'm from, and I forget why I was up there, but I go back and forth sometimes. And I got wind of the fact that they were having kind of general auditions for San Jose Rep. So I just went in and, you know, did the, like, the monologue thing. Uh, And then the guy asked me to read a scene from The Tempest. Uh, Said thank you, and then I left, came back down to L.A., where I had moved after UCSB. And I got a call of some, you know, I don't know, like a week later or something, saying we'd like to offer you the the role of uh, Ferdinand. Um... And he, I think he said it was like whatever it was per week. It was like like two hundred and seventy-five bucks a week or something. Which at the time, that was the eighties. Yeah, yeah early it sounded. 80s. But I kind of knew because I think I had looked into it that a, you know, an, an equity contract wasn't really that much more. It was like maybe three three hundred a yeah. week. And so I just, you know, and I hadn't been, you know, been able to get into a, a, a union yet. Yeah. Uh, and I had done some theater in L.A. after I moved here, and so I said, "Well, how how about if could, how about if you just could you make it an equity contract, and then that would be an extra like twenty five dollars a month or something or a week?" Yeah. And he said, "You know, I I thought may I maybe I shouldn't have said that." And he said, uh, "Yeah, okay, I think we can do that." So I said, really. <laughs> So it was just kind of, you know, I, I just sort of uh, opened my mouth and it, it worked. And so that was my, that was an equity contract. I think that's, you just summed up your career. I just sort that's of opened my of mouth it. and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about how it's changed because I know yeah. you don't have a lot of time. And, and that, oh, I'm cool. Okay. Yeah, I like it. That, uh, you know... So we were just in Sac Anime, uh, up in Sacramento, and there was this panel you were on about Winnie the, being on Winnie the Pooh with the actor who portrays the owl. Um, and it is kind of interesting uh, to realize that there is like this whole generation of... They're not kids anymore, but you know they were growing up with the Disney Channel watching the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I don't remember the name of the show, uh, because it was kind of one of those... I think that's right. Yeah, okay, so I, yeah. I think my kids watched it, but at the tail end of it, you know. Yeah. So, um, 
it is interesting. You you had this child looking as a kid, imitating these voices, and then you have become that, and clearly had a huge emotional connection there was with the audience because people were. I, yeah, yeah, there was some kind of pretty emotional, uh, you know, responses from some of the people there. Yeah, it's an, you know, I mean, because I was listening to the original Gopher, I'm. It, it wasn't a character that I created. Right. Um, even the, the guy who's was there for Owl, not the original Owl. Right. Um, but you know, there's a there's a certain kind of a legacy, I guess, that you kind of carry on with, especially Disney characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more so than others. I don't know. Uh, um. Yeah, it's. I mean that, and that was. That was the first time that I really had, in the voiceover world, had gotten like what was you could call like a big job, it's like well, something that was ongoing and something connected with Disney. You know, uh, it was quite it was amazing, yeah. and it was uh, well, yeah, and most of the people that were on the show we would do it together when they recorded That's interesting. although n- not Piglet because he was in New York and it was still John Fiedler John Fiedler who he was the original Piglet right and that's the way he talks. He doesn't. Yeah. He, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to put anything on. He just sounds like that. Yeah. All the time. And he was a great actor, who I'm sure you know, of course, as uh, um, Mr. Hingist in from uh, Star Trek. Wolf in the Fold. Wolf in the Fold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Star original series. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, he was a great uh, character actor, and um, um, Paul Winchell, the original Tigger, right. who did it up until he couldn't do it anymore and then Jim Cummings took over yeah. but he always for the most part did his stuff by himself so we never saw him except there were like just a couple of times I think when there was singing involved where well, I remember I think it was just me and him at one oh, one cool. of those so I did get to meet him a couple of times um I kind of forgot what the, no, what the question was. No, we were talking about the, about the impact and the, the legacy. And, yeah. and I know this is the Skyrim as well, you know. So do you <laughs> play the games that you voice? And, and when you had, like, you... Because I don't know. My son plays Skyrim. But there was a moment where you stood up and said, Oh, this is my Skyrim wife. I don't even know what you mean by that. You know, I, so... Well, I'll tell you what I mean by that. And I wouldn't have known what I meant by that. <laughs> the answer, the first answer is, no, I don't play them really I, I I guess I shouldn't feel shame in admitting that no, but no shame no, no it's okay I've watched people play yeah. <laughs> so yeah at SAC Anime this, this young gal and she was with her mom she came up to me you know during the signing and said I'm, I married you in the game <laughs> because apparently you can marry the character in the game so I, you know, I was, oh, so I, I, I think I signed it, you know, uh, you know, dear wife, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, your loving husband. Uh, so that's what that, and then she came to the Winnie the Pooh panel, yeah. and I recognized her, and said, oh, there's my wife from Skyrim. But, yeah, no, I'm, 
I, I'm I'm kind of in the in the dark when it comes to knowing <laughs> oh, that's okay. all the. Uh, but I, I it, it just think for for years, uh, you know, you you've had you know, a very successful long career, um, and one of the things I should also mention because you brought it up at the convention, uh, you are also the alternate Shrek. <laughs> uh, you know, so like when Mike Myers doesn't want to do it, so at Universal Studios, you are, you know, you can yeah, you may or may not speak as Shrek on this recording, I understand, uh, either way. But uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do it. Oh, okay, so already, okay. Uh, you know, that's, it's, it, that falls under fair use. Uh, so there, there's, yeah, you know, back when they were making Shrek movies, and I, I guess maybe, I don't know if there's, there may be I guess again, there's you know. There and it it started with Shrek two, and there's a little bit of a weird story as to how that all even came about. Yeah. Which, all right, I'll yeah, tell it. it I'm looking at you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you huh? can't just say what? that. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not going to tell it. I'm just. Uh, so. Uh, I'll try to be succinct. I I was working on a uh, it was some video game. Uh, that, in, that had something to do with the world of Shrek and, and characters. But I was only doing some very small little ancillary thing. Um, and during a break, and this was just some little side video game, maybe it might have been like a little mobile game or something. I, it was something that I it think... Like a DVD extra. They did a lot of those, like they called them set-top games. Right. It was something that, you know, DreamWorks had licensed so that they were allowed to do it. Um, and I think during a break, I was just kind of reading some of the lines in the script, including Shrek. And uh, they overheard it. And they said, hmm, that's, uh, do read some more of that. Um, so I did, and they, 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 they ended up using some of what I had done, uh, you know, in this little game, I guess, as Shrek. Because it was something that Mike Myers just wasn't sure. interested or available. Um, and then cut to a little bit further in the future. Uh, I was talking to my friend Karen, who wrote the first play that I ever acted in in college. And another guy... She, after UC Santa Barbara, she went to uh, film school at um, Art Art Center, okay. and and one of her other, you know, co-film students. After they graduated from there, we, the three of us and another uh, woman, for a while, we had this little group where we would meet, like maybe once a week on a Thursday night, at a place that isn't there anymore called Cafe Figaro. And we would try to write stuff. And this guy's name was David. And we did that for, I don't know, maybe like a year. And we just kind of didn't get anywhere, really. But it was kind of a cool thing to do. So then this is some years later. I'm talking to her on the phone. And she said, oh, David's, uh, you know, driving. And she was living in Santa Barbara still. Uh, David's coming into town. I'm going to, I'm saying hi to him. And, uh. He had then, since then, be, uh, become, um, was working at the newly formed DreamWorks animation, okay. you know, studio. And he was, he was a producer. 
and and she happened to mention, uh, yeah, he said that they're looking, they're trying to find a voice for for Shrek, you know, like a soundbite. And I said, hmm, you know, I, I did this little game thing a little while back. Uh, you know, mention it to him, or you know. So she did, and then I ended up talking to him on the phone I'm because I knew him I hadn't seen yeah. him for a while but and so you know I told him about that and did this little kind of audition for him over the phone uh, and this was after the first movie had already come yeah. and gone this was right before the second one was about to come out and uh, and then I got a you know a call I guess maybe from the agents or something they said they want to hire you to do this that they're going to fly you up to San Francisco because the DreamWorks headquarters was up there. So this was a long day up there of doing a bunch of different commercials. There was like Dial Soap and um, Sierra Mist and a whole bunch of like different products that they were they were tied into Shrek and the movie and that Mike Myers wasn't so it was like, wow. So we'll be able to do it. Right. So that was a good... Yeah, and that was where where that started. And then whenever there was something to do, you know, whether it's commercials or video games or live events, and if it was something he wasn't available for or didn't want to do, then... No, when we say live events, I just want to make clear, Michael does not look like... Shrek at all. Yeah. So that's not uh, audio. <laughs> yes, uh, audioically speaking only. Although, well, I just I guess one of the most the most recent thing that I did, which lasted eh, for about a year or so, was uh, DreamWorks had this online TV channel, and they yeah. did a whole bunch of like animated short things, and this was Shrek and Donkey had a talk show together no. called Swamp Talk and, and there was, was you and it was all motion capture it, no. so it was voice and movement you know we're wearing the tight suits yeah. with the little ref- things all over them and they were cranking those out for a while so in, you know so I was like you know acting so you've learned Shrek physicality physically well. and I mean there wasn't a whole lot of movement uh, uh, but uh, yeah Living the dream. <laughs> it was pretty cool there for a while. Get to go to the new DreamWorks, which is in Glendale, yeah. right down the street from uh, Disney's Imagineering headquarters. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you, they have their big, they have their own motion capture studio, big. Yeah. You know, cameras all around, and they would do all their stuff there, and and then it was always early. I'm not an early riser by nature, but we would often be done by lunchtime. And then they have the best, they have incredible lunches at DreamWorks. So there you go. People, like, yeah. you know, watch TV, listen, wow. uh, imitate the voices, and you too can get lunch at DreamWorks. No, that's great. So, Michael, thank you so, for... Well, I didn't mean that. to run on run No, on, it's a good there. conversation. I mean, I'm, I still have a little more time. I know, but I have... Uh, I don't. You have limited No, no, no. I attention. Uh, promised that I was going to try to make you sign up for Instagram tonight. So uh, I'm going to uh, take care of that right now. <laughs> and so, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll talk again. <laughs> You're welcome. Once again, thank you, Michael. 
fun conversation. Rick, I hope in your editing that, that uh, you found it informative and fun as well. <laughs> Once again, we're time traveling, and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm reaching back into the past. You're coming back from the future. I'm speaking to the future, Rick. Anyway, so let's uh, talk comics, and let's uh, go with – this is going to be a tough week for comics pick of the week. I don't really yeah, have I, news because we're getting to the re- end of the year, and but I thought today was a good week, good day. I have I have a solid bet on what your what your one is, but I, I and I didn't pick it, so there you go. Shall I go first? Go first. Okay, so my pick of the week is from American Mythology Productions, and this is a reprint book, um, but it's a reprint book with some new stuff in it. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Carson of Venus, Pirates of Venus. Oh. It is. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, this is the Len Wein. Yes. It is. Yeah, it, it is. For, oh, great. Yeah, this is, this is the first four chapters of the serialization of Pirates of Venus that ran in 1972 as the backup feature in the Korak book Korak son of tarzan book mm-hmm. that dc was doing and i was when i was reading the introduction to this um which is uh it's a nice little summation of it uh i was remembering just how much science fiction you know non-superhero science fiction and fantasy uh that dc was doing back in the early 70s because like i was like not well, only was they well, they did uh go ahead marvel was too they both were yeah right but but dc hadn't hasn't really been it was kind of a it was a wonderful time for dc and it was far too short i think marvel went longer on it yeah i think you're right i think and but dc had some great titles they had they had all the edgar rice burroughs stuff so they had um they had carson Venus and they had uh they had john carter of mars and i'm trying to remember oh they also had uh at the earth's core the pellucidar series they didn't do the um, they didn't do the uh, land that time forgot stuff, which is an obvious one to to continue uh, doing. Jesus, uh, goddamn phone! You turned off okay. all the things that could possibly ring and buzz, except for the, the it's hard to turn <laughs> the phone off. Okay, so they 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 didn't do. Um, the land that time forgot. Uh, but the, uh, and they, they did it not, not in a small way. Cause they had some great, uh, artists working all this stuff, not the least of which, and probably maybe even the, the most of which was, uh, was pirates of Venus, the Carson of Venus, uh, series, which was Len Wein, Len Wein and, uh, Michael Kaluta. Is yeah. it Wein? Yeah, you know, I looked up the I looked up the pronunciation because I was second guessing myself, and in German it's Wein, but he I, goes with Wein. But have he did go by Wein? Um, okay, they having been you know hosted the the uh, profan trivia contest with him, you know. Yeah. So, but but anyway, uh, this is the first four episodes, and beautifully uh, beautifully uh, drawn by. Uh, by Kaluta. Um, are there more? There are more. Uh, nope. They're doing it as like a, a limited series or they're negotiating. It's going to, they've got at least, uh, they've got another, um, let's see in the back of this, it's, 
it's saying next issue terror in the sky of course that's from the uh the original run so i'm i'm assuming it is because it doesn't say one shot on here or anything um the funny thing about this is and when you look at it um it does look more like a photocopy of the original print it's not been remastered it's not been digitized and cleaned up which is a little nostalgic, but it's in a it's a little disappointing too. It's on really good paper stock. Well, let me tell you this: this is the dirty secret of it all. And I, I heard this from I won't name which uh, editor I heard this from. You know, twelve, thirteen years ago. But you know, in, in some cases, it's one the art, the original art's long gone. Yeah, you know, it's off with personal private like that's sort of right. This all is, parted the, out. The, pub, the publisher is remind me of who who this is American mythology? American mythology is that right yeah. American mythology American productions mythology. so they're, they're kind of a new they're an upstart company yeah I think doing some interesting stuff um, Dracula and Zorro and um, I think it, well Zorro is being written by uh, by David Avalone so yep. I think we could probably get a connection with them and uh, have a conversation and find out but here's my guess is they don't have a lot of money and a lot, and they don't really have the profile to make that outreach to see if anybody has that artwork. But, but here is the dirty secret is that I know that there are books that you would be very surprised by that. The only way that the reprint editions were able to happen when like, especially when they changed publishers like this, where it was licensed material um, was through scans that they uh-huh. had to, like they, they were going out uh, the publisher Again, won't name the publisher. I'm like setting this huge mystery up. No, I won't tell anybody. But uh, if that person is listening, I'm sure they know exactly which conversation we had, um, right. that, which book it was. But they, they went to the pirate sites and got all the original issues, and they blew it up, and they scanned that way because nobody had the art. And, and, and it surprised me, the book, that it was. You know, It was something that I thought, come on, there are that would have had this art you know and you know but you just couldn't they, they well, couldn't the, find it the same thing happened with dave sim when he was redoing cerebus for um for digital they they, oh, they sure. were hunting down individual pages and scanning and cleaning them up but you can you can still once you scanned it you can clean it up and re recolor it and stuff but i think you're right it's it's not it it wasn't a uh, financial financial possibility. I, I did want to mention that they do they are continuing beyond just the reprints because they've got flames beyond the flames beyond Carson of Venus, um, which is being written by Christopher Paul Carey, who's kind of a rising rising star. He's kind of a staple in the Burroughs and particularly Philip Jose Farmer uh, side of things. He just recently did a book called Swords Against the Moon Men which is a sequel to The Moon Maid, and he's been uh, continuing the Haddon, uh, uh, the ancient Opar stuff uh, with, I think, at least three additional books because there were two original that were done by Philip Jose Farmer, of course, uh, being uh, centuries prequel to the Tarzan um, Opar stories. So... Um, they they are they've got some nice talent here, and uh, of course, the uh, the history here is good. And Carson of Venus is just it's not it's 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 not hard once you've read this stuff. But if you've never read any Burroughs, Burroughs wrote romances. 
They and they were they were they were classical romances, not just the romances because there usually was a a romance going on between the main character and an aloof woman or whatever. But the whole romance of um, being on another planet and the classical definition of romance it's it's really um, the Carson of Venus stuff is 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 probably Burroughs at his as height of world building. And let us go and you know acknowledge that the John Carter of Mars series begins with a book called A Princess of Mars. Yes. It, it's right there, you know, that, that sense of the of the romance and why stupidly Disney would not call it that. But yeah. Asylum, the studio, was able to actually adapt it because it's in the public domain. And there is a, a, a Princess of Mars movie with Antonio Sabato Jr. as John Carter and Tracy Lords as Deja Thoris. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I, I'm not recommending it because... I have watched it. It's not recommendable. <laughs> But this is a nostalgic it's, choice for me. It's almost as good as the gore, not, gore movies. Uh, uh, this is a nostalgic choice for me as, as, as well because my I, certainly I grew up what as a small child, back to that uh, being preschool, watching Ron Ely as Tarzan. So that's my exposure, my first exposure to Tarzan. I had the big little book, uh, number five in the 60s series, uh, The Mark of the Red Hyena. and But my first exposure outside of like this mainstream, really watered-down version of Tarzan that was really had very little to do with with Burroughs, right? You know, right. It's like right. part of this hyper-commercialized, gone beyond into the public domain take, uh, was uh, one of those issues of Korak. Bought a TG&Y in one of those three packs. Yeah. And I had that Cor- I had a Korak with a Carson of Venus in the back, in that backup. So I'm sure I have one of those chat had one of those chapters. Cause that comic book is long gone, but that was my first exposure and understanding that Edgar Rice Burroughs had done so much more, you know, so much beyond. I, and I'm thinking about, I, I regret that of course I was a, a small child and probably, uh, that book got tattered and that's, you know, was ultimately thrown away because it is just, I didn't take good care of it, but, Joe Kubert doing Korak and yep. and as you say uh, Mike Kaluta doing Carson of Venus and so tremendous stuff. Tremendous. And the the um, the other thing to remember is that the um, Burroughs actually was creating a universe mm-hmm. because Carson at the beginning of the book is going to Mars. He wants to go to Mars and and meet uh, John. John Carter, but his ship gets knocked off course so he ends up on venus carson right. napier right is that his last uh, i think so yeah i think so so anyway all right uh i think you probably guessed right on my book yeah i know uh, this I was a tough no no you know what it was really- i know there were a couple but i know which one you chose uh, yeah i was going to choose on a, on a week where there are a lot of good number ones i was going to choose a number four um and uh, just because, and, I, and I'm still kind of torn, uh, but this number one did win because I didn't want to like it. And I bought it for the sake of, and I finally just gave over to it. And so you know what it is. It's, it's Shazam, number one, by Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. Yeah. Uh, and um, I guess, you know, when he kind of retold the origin and, they, and in the backup of Justice League, uh, as much as I like Gary Frank's art, that uh, once I got past being irritated by the characterization in the origin. The kind of rough characterization. Yeah. yeah this number yeah. one 
as a story setting forth a new series and a new a new setup uh seriously as a long 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 time shazam family or captain marvel family fan you know from again back to small child um and there have been good revivals i just had to accept that this character shazam is not captain marvel he is a character much like the captain marvel that i loved and the concept is similar but what what Jeff Johns has done here, which also I think shows that you could do an entire franchise, a new line cinema doing Shazam with Zachary Levi, they could expand and I think they could do something fun with this, is, you know, introducing flat flat out the Shazam family. Yeah. And a backup story, which uh, deals with Mary Marvel and the origin of the new, uh, the rebirth uh, origin character from the Shazam family that I absolutely love and of course they had to do it uh, I, I won't spoil that but but doing it in kind of a manga style and or, or webcomic style um, I think there's a lot of potential in this book to be doing to be doing that and it reminded me you know I, I guess this is why I ended up loving it um, as far as a value though it's 499 I'm not a big fan of that price price point. Um, I'm it's gonna, a lot I'm larger accidentally... than... It is a bigger it book. Is longer, it? And it has that backup. And you know what? And if and if that's what he's going to do, if there's going to be like setting up backups of the Shazam family, which because of, you know, this is a character or a franchise that they bought from, uh, well, bought, you know, they licensed originally from Fawcett years ago. I mean, they took an entire universe and folded it into one book in 1972. Uh, and... You know, so with with Captain the original Captain Marvel, as they called it, you know that that uh, there's a lot to unpack and a lot to bring up to speed for 2018 or 2019. And so, if it's 4.99 each month with two stories, you know, one full length and then you know, even whether it's an eight page backup, I didn't count, but it was still a really fun fun backup. If you keep expanding the Shazam family universe in that format, I'm not going to begrudge the five bucks. I understand that it costs, you know, but it, it's similar to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sneak in my, other, my number four just because it needs the attention. Have you heard of Ahoy comics as an imprint? No, no, I've not. Okay. Uh, Tom Pyre. Uh, let's see who, who else is involved. Um, in the editorial, uh, doggone. I heart Sealy, Tom Pyre, Frank Camuso, Stuart Moore, some really great people. Um, but the book that I have found is hard to find. And I went first to, and I missed it the first three issues a few months, uh, about a month ago. And uh, I got the fourth issue today. Ahoy Comics, The Wrong Earth. It's Tom Pyre as the writer. And Jamal Eigel, who he was on Firestorm and Supergirl. I mean, as far as, like, the, the DC books, but he did Molly Danger. He's worked for uh, Action Lab uh, for uh, – wait, I guess that is a uh, – was Action Lab. Um, but anyway, um, he's been this terrific artist, and this, is, and this co-creation between he and Tom Pyre. The Wrong Earth is, like, basically uh, – it presents in the first issue with Earth Alpha and Earth Omega – and Earth Alpha is the world, basically, you know, to give the high concept, 
of Batman 66. Okay. And Earth Omega is like uh, the is the grim and gritty uh, 90s Batman. Okay. Side dead, uh, but he's, he's Dragonfly. So on Earth Alpha, he's Earth. He's Dragonfly Man. On Earth Omega, he's Dragonfly. And his his arch enemy in both worlds, uh, there's a dimensional mirror, and they get swapped, so they end up in the wrong Earth, mm. and it, it's a it's a dynamite uh, exploration of the strengths and weaknesses of both visions of how comics and superheroes can be, uh, while being a, a very poignant story as well. But what I love about what Ahoy Comics is doing what Shazam did is each issue has a backup story that is as if it were uh, from a back issue of their individual adventures. So the first couple had uh, like things that were meant to be golden age stories of the sidekick or, you know, just like little eight pages that would have appeared in the forties and fifties. This one has one uh, that would have appeared in the nineties and um, but it's drawn much better better quite honestly than than a lot of what was happening in the 90s but they also include short fiction in each issue grant morrison did a story in the first issue a three-page story uh these are uh in this issue it's three one-page stories so you know about two thousand words uh, a thousand to two thousand words um some of them have been superhero related some of them have just been stories you know, so they're they're bringing. It's a full. They're trying to do a full fledged magazine with each one. They have four titles: uh, Captain Ginger, uh, which is an anthropomorphic cat planet, as far as I can tell. Uh, High Heaven, I have no idea. And they have a horror anthology that's also humor called Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror. <laughs> and so, but honestly, the only one of the books that I've seen in that I go to. Uh, so far has been the wrong earth. And I think because it's the easiest to sell most straightforward superhero book, even though it's really not a straightforward superhero book. But I, I you know, I apologize for breaking my own rule and calling it out because it's these are worth seeking out and I have to go now, you know, I've I've the next trip to a comic shop that that's out of my usual beaten path. Uh, you know, I, I may try House of Secrets or um, the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Emerald Knights, you know, just because uh, now that Meltdown's gone. Like, normally, that's where I would go because Meltdown would have had everything because they did, you know, in Hollywood if there was something that I knew that I couldn't find in my local shop, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure where it may be Golden Apple. I don't know. But it's uh, Ahoy Comics, A-H-O-Y, and uh, their Twitter is comics ahoy and i just love what they're doing they're it, it's quality stuff and so you know if the other three books are half as good as this book the wrong earth they're great so yeah you know, and then i'm gonna throw that out that's our that's our uh, my holiday uh kindness uh <laughs> but, it, but it, I, I meant to talk about this book for a while because once i did find it it was uh, i was so glad i did so uh, it's, one, it's, it's like it's a must read. I'll let you one sneak another one in. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I just want to make another observation on Shazam. And you mentioned the the remake of it and how we it was kind of a bitter pill to swallow. Um, but you know, I think that when back in I think it was in the seventies, 
Yeah, it was in the 70s when um, DC got the rights to Captain Marvel and they kept they kept him in the Fawcett world um, no, they call in it that the, book. Uh, it's because they got had the original. They had Otto Binder and CC back. Right, right, right. Did it. But and that was what that was what made that such a magical book, you know, that that that, that yeah. world was realized and, and within its own set of rules it all worked. And if but DC now wants everything to be in the DCU and you couldn't if you were to put that Captain Marvel into like the Justice League, it'd be it'd be like Spider Ham, you know? It would be something that really shouldn't be there. Funny you should say um, that. No, but you know, they did sort of in the eighties in Justice League with the Keith Giffen and uh, I, I remember Dan De Mateus, and it, and it sort of worked because they they played him. They played off his innocence. Yes, uh, and and I will be honest as as entertaining and amusing as that was for me. Uh, I also didn't buy that Billy Batson at age twelve was as naive as they were making right. Captain. And there have been, and I had bought every single revival there has been, you know, so I've read the Roy Thomas and Tom Mandrake one, which is probably my second least favorite um, because Roy Thomas, you know, tries to connect everything you could possibly connect the power of Shazam, which Jerry Ordway did in the nineties, I thought worked really well. And uh-huh. that also he was in Fawcett city. He actually came up with an explanation. There was, a, there had been some kind of spell on the city uh, that sort of explained that that Fawcett City felt out of time, uh, you know, right. out of step with the rest. Of they the were DC originally Earth. in a they were originally in a bubble or something, weren't they? Some kind of uh, I can tell you, Sivanium. There was a bubble of Sivanium that caught that trapped them all. Apparently, after the last issue that Fawcett right, caught. right, that was it. And so for twenty years they were in orbit around the Earth, and then uh, it melted enough for Billy to say Shazam and rescue everyone. Uh, they didn't get into the depth of like, it wasn't everybody in the city, but everybody <laughs> in the past had been at this, uh, you know, event honoring Captain Marvel. So that's explained how Savannah could be back and not have aged. And he was trapped in the bubble as well. Accidentally, it, it crashed into his spaceship. Uh, right. So you know, there was that. And then, that, you know, the crisis on infinite earths, uh, changed everything, you know, because then it all had to merge. And they had to figure out how could Billy be part of that. Um, John Byrne reintroduced Captain Marvel to the post-crisis world in his follow-up miniseries, Legends. And uh, so that was kind of the first post-crisis appearance of, of Captain Marvel. They put him in the Justice League. They did this Shazam with by Roy Thomas, and they did the Power of Shazam. Then finally DC threw in the towel and said... You know, and gave Jeff Johns the power, or Jeff Johns convinced them, you know, to do his. And I realize one of the things I don't know what's unzipping there, but it's it's disturbing. Sorry, I didn't know they're speaking up. Yeah, uh, mm, uh, it's it's the case for my he- it's the case for my headphones. Did you did you put the girdle on? All right, there we go. Okay. Anyway, I think what I like, <laughs> I think one of the reasons I'm okay with this with Shazam here is that at no point does he put the hood on. Yeah, because I think that was the stupidest thing about the redesign. Even though I get it, you know, it's like, but it's there, but he doesn't put it on, and so yeah. I, I was happy, happy with that. I, I don't necessarily need the uh, the lightning bolt that glows, but uh, but it's going to be part of the movie. 
That's going to be part of the movie, yeah. So you got to so, you got to do it. So there it is. I but I I do like, you know, and I I'd kind of forgotten, um, you know, that the Shazam family each has a different kind of manifestation of the Shazam power too. So it's not just the way it was in the Fawcett books where we had Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and they were just like slightly less powered versions of yeah. uh, of him and the three Lieutenant Marvels and oh, I can do it all. Uh, Uncle Marvel had no powers. The Fat Billy, Tall Billy, and Hillbilly were the three Lieutenant Marvels, and they were all just lesser powered. Uh, you know, so uh, what I'm hoping is, you know, then we'll get somebody like the Bulleteer back in, or I'd like a justification for Spy Smasher. I don't know, but I <laughs> book. So let's uh, let's uh, go to movies, shall we? Because you were just talking about Spider Ham uh, not fitting, and I have to say, so I did. What a world, strange world we live in, if I may say, that I got into a screening of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse because I have a membership in the PlayStation Network. Wow. <laughs> and, they, and, and I got an email. All people that had PSN memberships, I got an email and said there, were, there, there might be a screening in your city. And so I checked, and there was, and uh, I got a ticket. I got two tickets. I took my son to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And, you know, I I think we've had varying levels of of excitement about this film. Uh, But I'm going to say I think this is – this is weird to say this, but I'm going to go on the record now. I think this this is the superhero film to change it. There, there has been, you know, there have been superhero movies before, and we're going to look, this changes what, what you can do. And suddenly, for the first time, I'm not terrified by the thought of Sony building its own Spider-Verse, if it all hmm. fits within the rules of this animated film. I don't want to see a live-action version. I want to see Tom Holland play in Marvel Cinematic Universe as as long as he possibly can in movies yeah. from Sony and from Mar- and from Marvel studios. And meanwhile, Sony can have this into the spider verse and they all can coexist. And that's what the, what this film sets up is that Tom Holland version as valid as any other. And, uh, they, right, right. I read an interview today that they were talking about. They had at one point considered casting Toby McGuire and letting him come back. And they said, well, now they might just, bring him and uh, bring him in for the sequel, which has already been announced as well as a spider Gwen, uh, sequel as well. And potentially involving silk and she's uh, and, ghost spider now, right? Yes, but she's not ghost spider in the film. Okay. Uh, I, I, I get, you know, I nerded and counter nerded because somebody was trying to explain that to the person he was with that. Oh yeah, she's it's Gwen Stacy and she's a spider woman and blah, blah, blah. And I, which I, she calls herself spider girl in, in the film. And I said, well, they can now call her ghost spider, but the book was called spider Gwen. And then in the movie, she calls herself spider girl. And I went, ah, you know, who can keep up? Um, and I, I and uh, so I don't know if it was just that in production ghost spider had not been chosen as a name. Uh, by the time they had, they were, you know, wrapping the film up. But one, uh, Spider Ham is fantastic, and if you give me a Spider Ham solo film with John Mulaney doing voice, <laughs> I will be so happy. Uh, and if you go to my to the Fanboy Planet Instagram, you can see the 
uh, single greatest uh, a photo of the single greatest uh, tie-in toy to uh, to Into the Spider Verse, which is a large plastic Spider Ham figure that when you press one of his uh, ears, his eyes change expression, so he goes from being wide-eyed to suspicious <laughs> and angry, and uh, it was that was fantastic. But setting up Miles Morales and really establishing the theme that that. I have heard, I had heard Stan Lee say many times over the years that one that when people would ask him about why the why he thought Spider Man had become so popular is that whether purposely or not he'd created a character that anybody could have been that nobody knows is Peter Parker under the mask, so it could be, uh, you know, anybody could see themselves as Spider Man and. You know, in in terms of licensing and costumes, you know that's their top seller. Uh, that has always that's their number one licensing character is is Spider Man. Spider Man. And uh, so this movie is about that. That Miles Morales is Spider Man, but he's Miles Morales. He puts his own spin on it. There is Peter B. Parker, is the alternate universe version, who is in his thirties or late thirties and kind of messed things up. There's like in the Ultimate Universe comics that uh, Ultimate Marvel, right? Uh, that that Peter Parker dies at the beginning. Um, that's Chris Pine. So Chris Pine could be Spider-Man under the mask, and and then that you've got Spider-Man Noir, and they do a really quick, cool thing. That this is an animated film that acknowledges. Look, these all come from comics, and and I think honestly, it's a movie that does a better job of telling people. You know, you might want to read some comics than any uh-huh. damn Marvel Universe movies have done. <laughs> because each one, when you're explaining a new version, is like a, a, a copy of their comics shows up on the screen. So Brian Michael Bendis gets an on-screen, in-story credit. You know, they show his name. They show Sarah Pacelli. They show Steve Ditko's name. They show Stan Lee's. All in context. And what I had not prepared myself for was that this is the first of the posthumous Stanley cameos cameos yeah and it is the most beautiful and perfect one it could have possibly been and uh and I'm not exaggerating on that it was just because my son afterwards said dad when Stanley appeared I thought you were gonna cry and I said I did I'm glad I covered it up from you you know <laughs> I I did because it was it, because they basically gave Stanley the final word on Spider-Man. And I know it's not his final word, that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has cameos uh, backed up for at least three or four films, you know. Um, but this was, and there's a spot in, in, not a spoiler, but in the, you know, in the t- end credits, literally, where it's clear one pop song has to end, and then they inserted the tribute to Stan Lee, and then, you know, moved on. And I cannot... I cannot think of a better film to have been a summation of his legacy than this. And I don't think anybody would be more surprised than me to be saying that's how I felt walking out. Like I can hardly wait to pay money for it again. I can hardly, uh, I am so excited for this film to have to be so entrenched in its comics roots and, and yet be its own thing. And I, I can hardly wait uh, for 
the next adventure of Miles Morales, the next adventure of Spider-Ham, of Spider-Man Noir. I, I'm assuming they're they're all going to come back together because there there is a logical possibility for that too. But there were surprises, and I was talking with someone on Earth too earlier, and. So one of the things that animation, that film animation opens up in a way that, you know, they've adapted Spider-Verse stories on TV, on Disney XD, um, and it just doesn't have the reach, you know, and the weight. But one of the things that suddenly animation opens up that they might not have been willing to do 10, 15 years ago is their design for the Kingpin is Bill Sienkiewicz's straight out of Electra Assassin. Okay. His voice is not the way I would have pictured that. But the fact that they'll go with something that looks so exaggerated and impossible, but so artistically satisfying, and that they, because of things like with Peter Porker being in there, and then they have an anime version from... I don't think she's in the comics, but I haven't been reading the new Spider-Verse books. Um, so she's a, a young girl with a mecha. Uh, Penny Parker... And uh, so she's from like, I think she's 2700. And, you know, that suddenly she has a different animation style. And then uh, if I can call out another casting thing, I don't think it's a spoiler, but, but just the most perfect uh, casting for the Ultimate Universe version of Aunt May. Uh, once I heard her voice, knew it was exactly her and went, oh, crap. It's a shame that she could never have played this live action. Lily Tomlin. Oh my! And a kick-ass Aunt May, <laughs> you know, because it's the ultimate version, who's slightly younger, slightly yeah. And it was just like, oh my god, that was perfect. Nicholas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. I don't think there's, you know, there's a false note in casting, and it's just an exciting adventure. And stylistically, you know, one thing to do artistically too is I thought oh, I the, this. The screening we had was 2D. I'm not even sure if it's being released in 3D because it's a week and a half out as we record this. Um, I wanted to go back to 3D, and then my son actually, uh, he said he was telling me too. He said, "Yeah, no, I agree. I think when it opens, we'd like I'd like to see it in 3D too." And he doesn't like to go to 3D movies, but then he found an article because he's old enough. Kid McCall will do this <laughs> on his own from the rival site where uh, he found an article that said that they had purposely made certain areas of the frame blurred and overlapped because they were trying to recreate the sensation of a printing error in a comic book. Interesting. And so it's not irritating. It's just like, you know, there's this, there's a feeling of zip tone of texture. It's just, yeah. I, okay. I think I've raved enough. Have, have I, do, do, do people listening to this realize you should go out and see Spider-Man into the spider verse and, I think they and do. And if you feel overkill, <laughs> it makes up for the bad taste of Venom, which by now I can say the weird thing at Venom was that they did an end credit, uh, post credit scene in Venom that said, meanwhile, elsewhere in the Spider-Verse, and took a clip from Into the Spider-Verse and went, this has nothing to do with it. And I pray to heaven that Venom, that Tom Hardy's Venom does not show up in the Spider-Verse, but... It was still, it was so, so terrific. So, ah, speaking of multiple universes, we could talk TV because this podcast will be up before Sunday, December 9th, correct? That's the plan. Oh, so we have Elseworlds hitting, which is yes. an awful lot like Crisis on Infinite Earths. 
doesn't it though i was i was just saying that we were just talking about that at uh hijinx comics and i said you know it it says elseworlds but you know elseworlds wasn't really a title it was really just a a, a imprint (laughs) and uh this this is more uh, crisis on infinite just like you watched the did you watch the scene at the end of any of the no okay at the end of arrow they showed the scene of all the beaten down heroes. heroes. Yeah, I, I read a description and I've got to find a clip. With the Flash, the um, John Michael ship, Flash. John Wesley ship. John Wesley ship uh, crawling through the wreckage and coming across this huge, fi- huge figure with a book. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> well... That's... It's the same scene, on, as you're right, on each episode of the yeah. Arrowverse this week, so, right. except for DC's Legends of Tomorrow, because that one's not crossing over, which is weird because it's the one that has the most <laughs> but, yeah, sure. door, but they're hard to coordinate. Also, if you're watching Legends of Tomorrow, it is so suddenly its own weird show off to the left. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's all magic and spirits and stuff like that since they got Constantine in there. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, yeah, I, I got to find the, I, you know, yeah, I've got to find the clip of that so that I, I, I can watch that. But, you know, as, as we've said, so it's bringing in, they call it Earth 90. Uh, yes, I think it said, yeah, I think it says Earth, not Earth 90 whatever, at the beginning in the subtitle. Whatever, whatever year that The Flash was actually on CBS, that's the name of the Earth. Uh, and so I know that's the that, that's coordination. So, the, but you're seeing John Wesley's ship in a, replica of that original suit that he wore uh, it looks good it did then you know i mean let's but it's a good replica it's a fantastic replica but yeah. then you're seeing an evil suit there's gonna be an evil superman up against the good superman that you're seeing this switching places that a monitor who looks so much like the monitor it's just astounding to me rumor has it still not confirmed but Stephen ml who does love toying with fans uh, has you know, uh, there's a, an implication that Smallville is going to get tied in. Somebody caught that in one of the preview trailers, Bane's mask from The Dark Knight Rises uh, is uh, is there, so that even Christopher Nolan's version of Batman is getting sort of folded in, which it all should be. Without there's a there are a lot of bits of costume in that little yeah, in, in among the wreckage to to pick at. Yeah. yeah, and and so I would say is this is the thing without warning whether it was purposeful or not. You know what Warner had announced last summer was that it's getting that that all of their shows it's it's not like the DC extended universe. It's the worlds of DC, so they can justify having a Joker solo film origin movie that has nothing to do with any of the other versions that have been running around facing Batman. Uh, that that sort of thing that who knows like with Birds of Prey which has this really weird subtitle like the Emancipation of Harley Quinn or you know that's silly and and ridiculous to set, set that tone whether they intended to or not suddenly the Arrowverse is establishing it all and if you're watching the Arrowverse it's saying all these different versions coexist because they're they're introducing the, the and they have already but you know but really really validating the DC multiverse and the idea that all of it coexists and that whatever is happening on DC universe, the app 
as well is about, although, you know, who knows, Titans might somehow cross over with the Arrowverse. I, I don't know. You know, they could, I, I could, I could buy that, which, which, you know, leads into the big news of the week, which, uh, earlier today saw a piece that said, uh, you know, net, okay. Netflix canceled daredevil after season three, right. uh, some independent company, uh, I don't know how they're telling their ratings, but they said basically through whether it's Q ratings, whatever, that it is the fourth highest watched show on Netflix. So whatever they use for ratings, it's not about popularity. It's not the reason why it was canceled. And uh, so, you know, this follows up. Luke Cage was canceled. Iron Fist was canceled. Jessica Jones and the Punisher still have to have another season in the hopper. But most people think that's going to be it. Of course, what happens in 2019 is you have Disney Plus, which has Vision and the Scarlet Witch. By the way, yes, they've added Vision to the Scarlet Witch series. So it's the Vision and Scarlet Witch. It's there's Loki, there's uh, Winter Soldier and the Falcon, and starring the the film versions of those characters. So it is you know they've got Anthony Mackie, they've got Sebastian Stan, uh, and uh, and I'm blanking Paul Bettany and uh, the Olsen, uh, Ashley Olsen? No, Mary-Kate and Ashley, those are the twins. It's their younger sister. Dang it, I'm blanking on her name. But, uh, no. but anyway, the point is, you know, they've got the film actors doing it and doing these shows. And it just, it, it all, I, I, the interesting thing is the reason they've got the film actors doing that for the streaming app is those shows are coming from Marvel Studios, not from Marvel TV. And the Netflix shows are coming from Marvel TV. And the only the only series that even seems to have any connection or acknowledgement whatsoever to the movies anymore is S.H.I.E.L.D., which has been renewed yeah. for a uh, seventh season before the sixth season even has uh, played out this summer. Uh, so that's good news for fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which apparently globally, by the way, is one of the one of the uh, most popular series in the world. Wow, that's that's wild. I I like the show, but I know a lot of people who just don't. Well, I think a lot of people didn't like the beginning. I did, oh. but I stuck with it because there were not enough Marvel superhero shows to make me. <laughs> all the time. Uh, you were you weren't always stuck. And by the, you know the irony is. That of course, by this point now that I think Shield is a show I would like, I don't have time to watch it, and I'm still way behind on it. But uh, but yeah, they it is one of the most recognized, and and they're insanely popular overseas. But you are right; they're not insanely popular here, and uh, so it is just kind of interesting. And I and I think when when they announced the cancellation of Daredevil, there was a statement saying we're not done with these characters, but they didn't say we are not done with these actors. So I, I think this is another uh, case. This is this part is speculation. One, it's it is granted. I'm guessing that the Marvel shows were probably the, you know, some of the most expensive shows that Netflix were doing. But then why does net you know from a business perspective why should Netflix be in the business of advertising a connection to another streaming service, especially when you know they've I know that they've invested. They've got the Umbrella Academy coming. From Netflix soon, they own the Millerverse, uh, so Huck and uh, 
superior and uh, MPH and and the Magic Order. All these show. I think even to some extent they must have Kick Ass as an option to do it to do a TV series. Netflix is digging deep into other comic books. Uh, I've heard rumors of other properties as well, and I won't say it because I don't want to jinx anybody's potential deal. But Netflix is, I think, going to be just fine if they give up Jessica Jones and they give up The Punisher and they have no Marvel product. We know next yeah. year they're losing all the Marvel movies. Though Infinity War came to Netflix this month, but you know, once once Disney Plus starts, that's it. That's it for Netflix, as far as Marvel goes. And as soon as they can pull Star Wars from it, they will. And you know, I think there's a lot of rumor rumor going that you know they're going to do the same thing with DC Universe. That you may see the CW shows disappear from Netflix and show up on on DC Universe, and you may see the CW just stop as far as being the superhero universe, because, uh, you know, all those shows could, if they get a subscription base as big, you know, all those shows could end up being DC universe. So, well, it is, it is the story of a publishing house. They are in all publishing houses for their own product. Their media products don't need, uh, the traditional band with to distribute. They, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, different uh, book publishers. Uh, yeah, I mean, back when there were books, you know. And I do want to say this, you know, quietly they've. I, I don't know if I have any Marvel books on my stack, but uh, not a cut against Marvel, but because um, I, I think that uh, Marvel books I, I pick up uh, at at uh, Elusive, uh, and it's usually more Vertigo and interesting and image stuff I pick up at Earth too, but. Uh, I, has Marvel dropped comics from their banner? Uh, it just says Marvel. Yeah. On the so banner. I got to say the same thing, and, I, and, and mainly because uh, I've caught us in notes and I've had to edit this on the page. Oh, a little behind the scenes. But that we keep saying DC Comics, and I had to correct myself because I noticed this last year on the CW shows because there's a weird gap. It says based on characters appearing in where it used to say DC Comics, it just says DC. And so they dropped comics too. So well, it always was. It was always like DC. It was like Detective Comics. comics. Well, I know it's like the El, it's like the <laughs> El Camino Real, which is you know right. You know the the highway highway. Uh, so yeah, so you know what DC has here is you know they've got their Vertigo. They've got they've got if it's one of the if it's the mainstream rebirth now it's just under DC Universe. If it's a miniseries, it's separate. It just is DC. So they've dropped comics. And I and it's like it's weird. I just really had not even registered that that's why. It's no you're you're right. They're not just a publisher, they're an IP owner. You know, and that's the right. DC Universe right. is uh you know which also which by the way, I mean we'd be remiss not to mention that Warner Brothers announced, even though by the way, <laughs> DC is owned by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers announced their own streaming service this last <laughs> Three tiers. And I'm thinking, okay, they had better either fold DC Universe into it and Boomerang because why should I buy, pay for three separate streaming services owned? I, I don't. I only, uh, I only have a membership of for DC Universe. But why would I, as a consumer, buy three different 
streaming services owned by the same company. I think it's actually rather brilliant because Warner is looking ahead to the point where they, uh, pardon me, yeah, Warner is looking ahead to the point where they sell off DC to Disney, and then they don't have they. It'll make that transition a lot easier. Do you think that's really going to happen? Do you think it's not? Do you think this is a, a good conversation for like a, a you know? We should have like a town hall meeting. Proposed. No, you know, it's a panel. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe yeah. at Baycon we could discuss that. You, I've made that joke. I've heard some people at DC make that joke. Uh, again, not to name any names, but uh, it is interesting because the. Uh, but I was thinking, like, if you if everybody like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. They are tripling down on genre, and Apple TV as well. Apple's creating their network, right? And then the other controversy this week: Facebook, Facebook Watch got all the Weedenverse shows. Except the downside is, you know, they're streaming for free, but you have to watch them on Facebook, which puts weird ads in. The only company that I think puts ads in as poorly as uh, as, as oh, Facebook does is BBC America for Doctor Who. Yeah, like I yeah. would buy. What's the see? I, I'm blanking on which which car company sponsors Doctor Who, but I I would make a public commitment uh, to buy one of their cars. <laughs> <laughs> really? Be able to show Doctor Who uninterrupted this season because BBC T, BBC America has been so bad. So I give up. You, you win. win. I'll <laughs> just give me my Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy an SUV. I, <laughs> you know. They, let me guzzle that gas just so I can <laughs> watch it uninterrupted. But anyway, you know, with, with all this competition and all this going on, I think that it's interesting that if you say that, AT&T, which now owns Warner Brothers, would then be looking to sell off what is the, the line that people most seem to be interested in the most. Because the other thing that's most popular with Warner Brothers, uh, you know, they have their back catalog. There's some really great old classic films in which we yeah. have raised a generation. Look, and this is, I, I, I'm not saying this is the cranky old man, because, you know, I think about this a lot because I read plenty of articles about how kids aren't watching these old things. Like, you gave them everything they could ever want at any minute they wanted, and you right. are disturbed that they're not going back and watching Casablanca unless they're forced to take a film class. Or we watched that stuff because it was the only thing that was on reruns of old you know, movies and as much, when, when there were only three channels you're, you're, and one UHF. I mean, you know, that's exactly it. I've said that my mom plunked me down on Saturday afternoons to watch Abbott and Costello theater on channel 44, three stooges, a Marx brothers movie, uh, the Bowery, the Boys. Bowery boy. Oh God, the Bowery boys. Yeah. You know, exactly. And, and the thing is when you think about it, those movies were only 30 years old when we were watching. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's 2018, 1988. Our kids are watching the 30 year old movies. They're watching <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, and Back to the Future. And, you know, they're, so, dudes, this is the way it works is you don't get, you know, you don't get to force your childhood loves onto the next things pass from the culture they get remixed and they get revisited and you know so for warner brothers to look forward to selling off dc perhaps when they you know what else do they have um 
Well, they got Warner Brothers, but they haven't done a good job of keeping that alive. Kids know Bugs Bunny, but they don't watch Bugs Bunny. Um, they haven't done a good job. I mean, they've got Harry Potter. They've got the Wizarding World of of, Harry, of J.K. Rowling, really, right? They've officially changed that title. It's all J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. And what else is there? Doc Savage in the Warner Archives. And, you know, so there's some, there are some great movies there, but that's going to be diminishing returns. People are just not going to – the people that are going to turn to their kind of services, I think it's too small an audience. Whereas with DC, everybody knows the characters. It's a quick consumption. And as we talked about Stan yep. Lee uh, tribute, you know, that's one of the things. Somebody asked Stan, didn't he worry that comics were going to be a thing of the past? He said, every form is replaced. And, you know, so we're people are going to get their their superhero hits from television. And of course, that line is going to blur. Uh, you know, it's whatever. They're going to get it digitally. They're going to get digital hits of all this stuff. And yep. So I, I just don't see a future for Warner Brothers unless they keep it, keep DC, and they fold it into one service so that I can go, ah, I've got my one-stop shop. I'm so tired of contemplating adding another, you know? So as a, And as we were talking about before we started the podcast, you know, on the flip side, Hulu is also diving deep into, they've signed a deal with Funimation. So at least there, I've already got Hulu. I can discover new anime if I so choose. Um you know, beyond my hero academia, what else am I supposed to watch? You know, this, oh, I'm on Attack on Titan as well. You know, but again, I'm also at, at peak saturation for I just don't know what else I can take on. So, right. Oh, that rant. That, all that, that, on that, that note, Daredevil <laughs> shows up in Avengers 4, I'm going to be super, super happy. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I, I know we're, we're in TV, but I knew you were super happy with Monday's news that. They're looking at Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, and it's just all the things that that implies, too. I mean, it's just, I, I'm very, very happy. Yeah, and the Shang-Chi was rumored to be a character for Iron Fist 3. And if we had to lose Iron Fist on Netflix so that a great Shang-Chi movie could exist, I think I think yeah. we're happy. No. And I, I want them to do it like the later issues of of, uh, of uh, Master of Kung Fu, where it was it was really like... Kung Fu James Bond, and that's uh, uh, give me big villains and big, uh, big sets, and yeah, that's what I'd I want. be into it. I'd be into it. So, well, that's it. Um, so I, I'm going to reiterate. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Fanboy Planet. We are. Uh, I did make that joke about a town hall. We'd like to do another public podcast soon, and so if you follow us on Facebook. Uh, you know, then uh, and Twitter, we can let you know that it, that it's going to happen. And uh, I, I sent out the feeler, have not heard, but as I said, we would like to do an episode uh, publicly, and I and I think we'd like to do it before Christmas. So we will let people know. Watch this watch. space. Well, but they're listening right now. Well, watch we the space to- that you got this from. <laughs> Smell this sound. Uh, okay, anyway. Uh, so we've got synesthesia problems here at Family Planet, in addition to the time travel issues. So, ah, uh, oh, my heavens. All right, so hey, thanks everybody for listening. Once again, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. If you would like Michael Goff to join Instagram, which, Rick, will make sense once you've uh, had to edit the <laughs> uh, please let me know so I can pressure him. 
and uh, so, anyway, uh, thank you so much. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanBladePlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.